one of the most damaging phrases to healthy conflict and collaboration that has been prevalent in the business world as I've seen it is there's no I in team. I think that phrase, there's no I in team, has caused people to avoid speaking about themselves. And instead, what they've done is they say, well, I don't want to be labeled as not being a team player, so I'm going to speak in the we. And when I speak we statements, then I'm including all of us, and I'm being inclusive when I speak in the we. But inadvertently, what's happening is we're putting, we're, in my experience and my belief, is that we're putting words in other people's mouths. That's creating different problems. I've also heard it said, yeah, there's no I in team, but there's, a, there's an M-E, me. And me and my experience, and I need to speak from me and my experience. And so I do coach my clients to use a lot of I statements when they're speaking, especially when they're leaders, especially when they have power. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, a Quantibos coach and the host of Conversations. And my guest today is Christopher Arnold, another Quantibos coach. Christopher is a leadership coach and the founder of Brio Advisors, a coaching and consulting firm in Denver, Colorado. He supports clients at all levels of the organization when strong working relationships and teamwork are essential for their success. Christopher helps business leaders engage and empower colleagues navigate healthy conflict, generate commitment and buy-in, and hold team members supportively accountable to shared results. He believes that business can be used as a force for good and is active in the employee ownership and B Corp business communities. Welcome, Christopher. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here. So our conversation today is the role of the leader in promoting healthy conflict. I would think that some of our listeners find that a bit of a confusing topic because hmm. what is healthy conflict? Yeah, thank you for asking. I think a lot of times when people hear the word conflict, they think of a battle, a war perhaps, or maybe just an argument. Those would be examples of unhealthy conflict. Healthy conflict is something that happens all the time. It's when we have a different opinion from somebody else. For example, uh, we might all decide where we're going for lunch today, and we might have different opinions about where to go and, and what would be the best option. And that would still be considered a conflict, but hopefully that would be a healthy conflict. The way to distinguish between those two is this. There's kind of two extremes of conflict that would be considered unhealthy. One would be silence. So um, just completely avoiding or not engaging in the conversation at all. That's not healthy conflict. And then, of course, the one that we've already mentioned, which would be uh, maybe shouting or yelling or uh, verbal violence, hopefully only verbal violence and not physical violence. 
And then somewhere in between those two in the spectrum, we would call that healthy dialogue. And that's where I believe healthy conflict lives. So, Christopher, why is conflict important? Mm, yeah, I would say now more than ever, there's talk of diversity and inclusion. And, and there's a, a lot of reasons behind that. But one of the driving reasons is because we need a variety of perspectives to get the best answer. And so we want conflicting viewpoints brought to the table so that we can arrive at the best solution. And so I do believe that businesses want conflict, whether they know it or not. In a way, it reminds me of something I read a long, long time ago, which was a look at biology as a metaphor for business leadership, or not just business leadership, but business. And it talked about the cellular structure of oak trees and palm trees, mm -hmm. and that palm trees have a very simple cellular structure. They grow very quickly, but they are not very strong in times of turbulence, while oak trees have a very complex cellular structure that diversity that you were talking about. They grow slowly, mm -hmm. but they are able to withstand strong winds and storms. For me, out of that diversity, out of that healthy conflict, if you will, comes innovation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I was listening to you, right, I think about in nature, there's often a compete or die sort of viewpoint, right? So in certain environments, the oak tree may flourish and, and the, yeah, the palm tree may um, die off and vice versa in other environments. Competition is certainly a form of conflict. And I don't think it's the form of conflict that we want in business as much as uh, we tend to think that healthy competition is a good thing. I think collaboration is kind of in your metaphor would be more like the scientists who take some aspects of the palm and some aspects of the oak and bring them together in such a way to innovate and create a new organism that maybe has the qualities of both. And so when I think of healthy conflict in a business context, I don't think so much about competition. Um, I think there's actually maybe too much of that. I'm thinking more about collaboration and having that healthy dialogue so that we can take the best parts of all of the elements and put them together into one solution. What is the role of the leader then in promoting healthy conflict? Yeah, I want to talk first maybe about the the inadvertent role that leaders play in creating unhealthy conflict. <laughs> and then maybe we can talk about what they can do about that and the role that they can play in fostering healthy conflict. Gosh, there's so much to say here. First and foremost, leaders or managers in particular often carry a certain amount of power. And that power is invisible to them, but very recognizable by those around them. And one of the ways that I think leaders can measure the degree of their power is to ask themselves, would my opinion be able to have a really detrimental effect on the careers and the futures of the people around me? And so for a manager, certainly uh, if they have a negative opinion of someone on their team, they could have a really dramatic effect on that person's career and their ability to get promoted in the future. And that is power. Even if the leader says, well, I would never use my power for anything bad. I would never, you know, intentionally uh, hurt other people's careers. How you use your power is kind of irrelevant to the fact that you have power. And so first and foremost, with great power comes great responsibility, as the line from the Spider-Man movie is. And that is to say that if we're unaware of the power that we carry as leaders, we can have 
a real detrimental effect on conflict. And of course, if we're aware of it, we can use that power to help support conflict. And so one of the things that leaders can do to really damage healthy conflict is to jump in and, and have an answer very early. Because when they offer an answer, their answer gets combined with their power and that can really shut down healthy conflict. In other words, well, if the person in the room with power has this answer, can I really disagree with that? Can I really offer an alternative? I'm not sure. And so I believe Simon Sinek often says leaders speak last and, um, and that can be one of the ways of fostering healthy conflict. I would say it a little bit different. I would say sometimes leaders speak first and sometimes leaders speak last. It all depends on what the needs of the team are in the moment. And so another situation um, that we may find ourselves in is that to have healthy conflict, someone might need to be vulnerable and share something, maybe like a mistake. In those situations, it would be beneficial for the team if the leader went first and offered their mistake first. So I'm not fully on board with leaders speak last. I think leaders might speak first, they might speak last, depending on the situation. A couple of things come to mind as I listen to that description. One is the role of leaders in asking powerful questions. Yeah. Uh, really, if you will, putting the challenge out there so that others can share their perspectives, their ideas, their ambitions, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. depending on, on, on the topic being addressed. The other is the importance for everyone in that conversation, but, but especially for the leader to be able to listen mm -hmm. and really listen deeply. Yeah. And so for me, that comes to one of my recommendations I often make to leaders, which is don't run your meetings. Mm -hmm. Have a facilitator so that you can be fully present mm -hmm. with the conversation, with the silence, with the energy in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a couple of reactions to the things that you're saying. There's a quote from Dale Carnegie that I love, which is people support a world that they helped create. And so having someone else facilitate the meeting is involving them in the creation of what's happening in the room. And so I do also agree that when we create that dynamic, then we're getting more buy-in and more support from the people in the room. I think listening is interesting. And how do other people know that we're listening? right? Even if we're listening really well. So I think to add on to what you're saying, I would also say listening, but also reflective listening in terms of verbalizing what you're hearing people say so that they know they're being heard. I think that's another important ele element. One of the things that, especially when leaders are presenting, for example, a new strategy, I ask them to ask three questions. What do you like about what you're hearing? Not what don't you like, mm -hmm. but what concerns do you have? Yeah. And what else should we be considering? Mm -hmm. I think those are three great questions for sure. And in response to what people are saying, only ask clarifying questions. Yeah. Don't start defending because now you're shutting down that healthy conflict. Yeah, so you brought up that word defending. And so there's another element that I've gotten really interested in as of late, 
around conflict and kind of some of the ways that we damage or lead others to unhealthy conflict. And if we're aware of it, we can bring ourselves and others back to healthy conflict. And that is this idea of speaking in a way where my reality is everybody's reality. And so as just a quick example of that, I might say, Brian, it's really hot in here. Now, what I'm doing is I'm taking my experience, which might be based on how I'm dressed and where I'm sitting and whether the sun is shining on me and so on. And I'm projecting my experience and my reality onto everybody else and declaring it as the truth and saying, it's hot in here and leaving no room for other people to have a different experience from me. And as the leader, if I combine that with my power, that can cause other people to react in such a way that we might interpret as getting defensive and saying, hey, wait a second, I'm having a different experience. And because of your power, I feel like maybe I have to get louder and so that you hear me and that I can find a sense of power as well. So it's a very simple example, but it happens a lot in business uh, and with my clients and when I hear them th say things like, we need to get this done by tomorrow. And there's really two elements in there that are kind of projecting my experience and my reality on others. One is that that word need, like, well, where is that coming from? Like, what happens if we don't get this done tomorrow? Do we really need to? Like, I, I don't fully understand. And then second, the we, it's like, well, who's we? Are you talking about you? Are you talking about me? Are you talking about all of us? It's not clear to me uh, what you mean by that. And so when a leader speaks and says something like, we need to get this done by tomorrow, the, the leader might experience some resistance to that because not everybody else's experience might fit that. And so inadvertently, the leader maybe being unaware of their power, speaking in it with a we, and, and so kind of putting words in other people's mouths, and then speaking about a need, something as a need when it's really a choice, such as I'd really like us to get this done by tomorrow for the following reasons, those three things can inadvertently take the team down a path of unhealthy conflict. As I'm listening to you, Christopher, one of the things that comes to mind is Judith Glasser's work on conversational intelligence. Mm. And she talks about three levels of conversation. And, and the first is simply a data exchange, a transactional kind of conversation. I think the second is prone to being the unhealthy conversation, mm. uh, the unhealthy conflict. It's positional. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're hot, Christopher. You know, the temperature is just right for me. Mm -hmm. The third level she calls transformational, which is a conversation of co-creation. Mm -hmm. Something I often say is one of the most damaging phrases to healthy conflict and collaboration that has been prevalent in the business world as I've seen it, is there's no I in team. I think that phrase, there's no I in team, has caused people to avoid speaking about themselves. And instead, what they've done is they say, well, I don't want to be labeled as not being a team player, so I'm going to speak in the we. And when I speak we statements, then I'm including all of us, and I'm being inclusive when I speak in the we. But inadvertently, what's happening is we're putting we're, in my experience and my belief is that we're putting words in other people's mouths. That's creating different problems. I've also heard it said, yeah, there's no I in team, but there's, a, there's an M-E, me. 
and me and my experience, and I need to speak from me and my experience. And so I do coach my clients to use a lot of I statements when they're speaking, especially when they're leaders, especially when they have power to avoid that dynamic that we described earlier. I think the other thing that happens when we say there's no I in team is my uniqueness mm -hmm. is no longer valued. Yeah. Who I am and what I bring to the table yeah. uh, is somehow subsumed by the greater whole. Yeah. And so... I totally agree with you, Brian. You know, the value in that statement is that I would say the mission is the most important. The team is second most important. And my needs are not unimportant, but need to be deprioritized relative to the mission and the team. However, when I'm speaking and leading, my uniqueness, my experience, those are important things for me to speak about and to share and to bring to the table. And I need to own them as mine and not as the truth or the way it should be for everybody else. You talked a little bit about, and I'm not recalling the exact term you use, but the speaking as if my reality is everybody's reality. Yeah. I think that's one of several kinds of mistakes mm -hmm. leaders make in their conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all heard words matter. This conversation really is a reminder, certainly for me, that we really need to be conscious of the words we choose. Yeah. And so, Brian, I, I'm interrupting you, but notice that you just said we really need to be conscious. And if it's a reminder to you, and if I asked you in this moment to rephrase that and just for you to own it fully. I need. Yeah. Right. And to be the conscious. story I'm telling myself is that that's a more vulnerable thing to say. That's a harder thing to say is that maybe, Brian, you've been doing it wrong the whole time. Maybe everybody else has been doing it right. And that's a vulnerable thing to own. That's a tough thing to own. And we avoid. Well, and I don't want to speak. We <laughs> I know that sometimes I try to avoid being the only one in the room who's wrong because that's a vulnerable thing. And so I might twist my words a little bit to speak in the we because it's a little bit less vulnerable for me. I'm currently reading Learn to Listen by Oscar Tromboli. He really focuses on listening in different ways, listening to yourself. So what you're, you're talking about, the example that you just gave regarding what I had said, mm -hmm. is a reminder I have to listen to myself. Mm -hmm. Am I owning what I'm putting out there, or in a way, am I disowning it by going from I have to to we have to? Yeah. And so I also think that we're immersed in a culture that avoids vulnerability. And so, so much of the day-to-day -day business speak is being done in this particular way of avoiding being vulnerable. And I believe that we are taught that that is the way that business people speak. And so we just fall into that quite easily. That's my experience. And so there's also an element there of its habit. And so to your point, leaders often aren't aware that they're even speaking in a way that might be detrimental to healthy conflict because it's so prevalent. This approach, you know, I call it speak inarguably because if we focus on speaking about our experiences and our observations and the things that have happened to us in the past, those are inarguable statements. Sometimes we'll hear people say, well, I'm just speaking my truth. 
my truth, it can only ever be about me. And if I'm speaking my truth about somebody else, that's really just my opinion. <laughs> and so the first part of speaking, arguably, is to speak from the I and speak from my experience and use I statements. The second part of speaking, arguably, is that we do have opinions and we do have perspectives and we do have stories. And so when we do share those things, the other part of speaking, arguably, is to say, this is my opinion, this is my story, this is my perspective. And as soon as I can declare that, then it's no longer an arguable statement. It's now inarguable because I'm owning that it's a story. I'm owning that it's a, a, an opinion. So rather than we need to get this done to, by tomorrow, I might say, I notice I'm feeling nervous. I'm worried that if we don't get this done by tomorrow, then these bad things might happen. And it's really hard for anyone to argue with me about that because that's how I feel. Christopher, I want to go back to the topic, if you will, yeah. healthy conflict. Why not use a statement about the role of the leader in promoting collaboration or the role mm -hmm. of the leader in promoting cooperation? Why the role of the leader in promoting healthy conflict? Because I think when I meet with leaders, I often hear from them frustration in the way that their team is behaving or the things that their team isn't doing. And so in this case, I'm frustrated that my team isn't working together. They've created these silos and they're doing this and they're doing that. And I think you already really hit on it. And when you said paying more attention to the way that we speak as leaders and the words that are coming out of our mouths. And so the title today about the role of the leader is really an invitation to reflect and look at oneself and say, how am I contributing to this? It's interesting, as I was listening to you, the thought I was having was, what do all of those team members have in common? Mm, the sure. leader. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that they have other things in common, too, such as the, their working culture. They all share that, right? And, and the things that are considered okay or not okay. But yeah, the deeper level of that invitation is that if the leader is feeling frustrated about something, if they can just speak that and say, I notice I feel frustrated when these things happen. Like that's a vulnerable thing to say, but it's totally inarguable because they get to feel frustrated about that. They can also say something like, I want to see this different. I want this to change. And I want your help team in creating that new way. That's inviting collaboration. So there's an element of speaking my inarguable truth from my perspective, being vulnerable, inviting input from others. That's the leader's role in fostering healthy conflict. I think I have another conversation topic here <laughs> because we, we don't certainly have time today to dive into it, but the importance of vulnerability mm, in the role yeah. of the leader. Yeah. Well, and I'll just say, I often don't present that. I, I often don't say, Hey, you need to be vulnerable, right? Well, that would be an arguable statement. But I think vulnerability for the sake of what, right? And so what I, I enjoy about hearing it come up today is like for the sake of health, healthy conflict. Like that's a reason to be vulnerable. I get nervous when leaders feel like they're being pressured to be vulnerable just to be vulnerable. Christopher, thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah, thank you, Brian. It's been fun.